This is the California Liberty Project Podcast. So, welcome back to the California Liberty Project Podcast. Again, I'm very glad that you've joined us here on this Liberty Journey. We are your weekend Liberty Podcast. Brand new, only about two months old, and um, already have had some great guests on. I'm going to be joined by a great guest here in just a few minutes, Austin Peterson. Really excited to speak with Austin. But before we jump into that, I wanted to cover some items that have been in the news, as we sometimes do. I want to hit those right off the bat. So, of course, we saw earlier this week that the FBI raided Trump's private residence at Mar-a-Lago. Everyone's been talking about it for the past four days or so. This podcast comes out on the weekend, and I want to add in some of my thoughts as well. So, the reasons are not entirely clear as of right now, August 12th, because Trump had allegedly been cooperating with records requests. That's what everyone's been talking about over the past several months. But there are reports that this could have something to do with retrieving Spygate documents, perhaps, that Trump had held on to. Or then people started talking about, could he have nuclear secrets? That, to me, sounds like propaganda. Or something else. Um, we'll see about that. Um, we're we're going to see kind of how the facts unfold here. And more stuff could come out even later today or this weekend. But Trump's alleged infraction had better be serious enough to warrant the dozens of agents swarming his residence. So, yes, no one is above the law, of course. And politicians and even presidents, if they've broken the law, and if there is actually evidence that a crime has, has been committed, then yes, they're not above the law, they need to be investigated fully, and search warrants can be served and whatnot, of course. But what everyone's all up in arms about is that now we're not targeting the crime, we're targeting the person. And it's not like we haven't seen that been, that's been happening for the past five years with Trump. I mean, it's a rabid fascination. It's an obsession with Democrats and with the left, and we can see what's going on here, more than likely. Um, we will find out if there's some major felony or some huge infraction, or if Trump had, um, what if he had crack uh, in his safe or something of that nature? Or what if there was evidence that he had been cavorting with prostitutes internationally? I mean, we'll find out if there's something like that that would actually warrant, perhaps, um, law enforcement uh, raiding his home. We'll, we'll see, because we know that happens in this country still. There's justice for all, right? Justice is blind, is what Merrick Garland tells us, right? So whatever the case turns out to be, I believe that this theatrical raid had everything to do with optics. And I think a lot of people believe this now. And it has to do with building a case against Trump in the court of public opinion, which they've only done 75 times in the past five years, right? Every time they hit a dead end, the Mueller investigation, tens of millions of taxpayer dollars wasted, the Trump uh, PP tape hoax, and the Steele dossier, and framing Trump, and every investigation, the tax investigations, everything that's hit a dead end or has turned out to be a nothing burger, um, maybe that's more the same with what's going on right now. But they definitely want to perp walk him out in handcuffs, and they want to try him in the court of public opinion, they want to basically ensure that he is not the nominee. So they want, to, they want to tarnish him, essentially, and make sure that he never gets into the White House again. That's what's going on here, more than likely. Again, my mind can be changed if there's um, a lot of data, a lot of evidence that comes out, but we will see. It's amazing, though, these rabid federal agents and the deep state foot soldiers will just not rest until Trump is in handcuffs. And they want that shot on the news. They want that camera shot. They want to show it. They want him being perp-walked out, humiliated, in handcuffs, coming out of his personal residence, maybe in his pajamas, like a Roger Stone or a Manafort-type situation. And they want all the cameras of the world to see this to make sure he isn't the nominee in 2024. So now, in the past day or two, Merrick Garland has come out and he's claiming that his department and agency are the victims here. And he's defending the honor of all of these federal agents who raided 
a political rival, a, a politician in the United States that almost half of the people seem to support. He's defending the honor of his agency. Okay, Merrick, uh, that, we'll, we'll listen. Why don't you convince us? But do you see a bit of the old dialectic at play here? We go from thesis to antithesis to synthesis. The whole thing is a giant psyop from some of the same people and agencies who spied on MLK Jr. and spied on Malcolm X and many others over the past several decades. And these are also some of the same folks that brought you atrocities at Ruby Ridge, at Waco. They armed Mexican drug cartels with taxpayer money. Remember Fast and the Furious? They spied on Trump for the Clinton campaign. They've framed and entrapped men from Michigan in the Whitmer kidnapping plot, and on and on and on. And these same government agencies will not even provide information about the Las Vegas shooter. That's just swept under the rug. Everyone is horrified by that case. Where did that one go? Nothing. It went totally quiet. We haven't heard anything about the Epstein client list. And what have we heard about Ray Epps, which everyone was talking about just a few months ago? He's never been charged. Even as hundreds of 60-year-old grandmothers have been terrorized and imprisoned over the past year, and these people were not armed, they just trespassed, many of them, and they're sitting in dank ba basements in Washington, D.C., awaiting trial. And how about that January 6th bomber outside of the DNC? You know, we'd, we'd like uh, violent criminals such as that person to be brought to justice and given their, their day in court. Where did that person go? I mean, how come they can find... 65-year-old grandmothers uh, who are being treated for cancer, but they can't seem to find actual bombers or people who, who left bombs near political headquarters. So don't fall for their PSYOP. Remain peaceful. Remember, Big Brother is watching and listening to everything we say on social media. And that is really horrifying and disappointing and disgusting to say in the United States of America, but it is absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Be very careful. Be prudent. Watch what you say and watch what you do. They are casting their nets right now. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're trying to bait right-wingers into another January 6th. Don't take that bait. But this is especially coming ahead of these midterm elections. And perhaps what, that's what the Mar-a-Lago raid was specifically about earlier this week. So be careful out there. Remain peaceful. And we do have a right and a duty to ask questions and to speak out and criticize the federal government's actions. This is going to be a time when I think a lot of people are getting scared. There's a lot of fear out there. We have a right to ask these questions. I'm not saying I know what happened with the Las Vegas shooter. I'm not even saying I know what happened with the January 6th uh, attempted bombing. Um, we don't know, but we can ask questions and we can criticize the government's response. So also, really quickly, here in California, closer to home, Sacramento. Oh yeah, there's a lot going on in Sacramento. A flurry of activity, lots of bills being looked at. The suspense file, I think, has been cleared through. Um, they're in a big rush over the next three weeks or so, two to three weeks, because they, uh, they basically have to be done with the legislative cycle by August 31st. And so, of course, we've been watching SB 866, uh, the parental rights or the anti-parental rights bill. That's um, still awaiting a vote. Senator Weiner does not apparently have the votes for that, thank God. We've been watching AB 2098, which would essentially uh, put a muzzle, figuratively speaking, on doctors, um, controlling what they're allowed to say to their patients about the uh, COVID situation. And then there's SB 1479, which essentially would impose this uh, COVID testing regime on schools ad infinitum at this point. But beyond that, there have been a few other bills that have been kind of talked about, maybe not talked about as much as they should have. But SB 1384 is one. And I believe it just passed. No Republicans spoke against it. And what it is, is it's a bill that requires video surveillance cameras and insurance which is very costly, at every gun store in the state. And it did just narrowly pass um, just the other day. It had passed the Senate, I think, and then passed the Assembly. Uh, I'm not sure if it's been signed into law just yet, but that's a dangerous one, just a further erosion of your natural right to defend yourself and to keep and bear arms. 
So watch what's going on with SB1384. Another one is SB57. And this is a bill which is now on the governor's desk. So we'll see what Newsom wants to do. But this bill allows San Francisco, L.A. County, and the city of Oakland to sanction and operate, quote, safe injection centers where I guess um, addicts or, or various people can go in and inject fentanyl or whatever, any kind of opiate, heroin, whatever it is. You go into a safe injection center and you get government paid for paraphernalia that's sterile. It's for you. It's for your benefit. And you can shoot up there in those government sanctioned and apparently taxpayer supported injection centers, which is completely disgusting. But I guess after the past two years of what we've been through with taxpayer funded injections and even mandated in some cases, I guess we really shouldn't be that surprised that now taxpayers are going to be supporting or possibly even financing someone's deadly poisonous addiction to these opiates. So the insanity continues. Um, absolutely. Now, the one, the one um, bright light or piece of good news here is that this bill might not even be signed by Newsom because remember, Newsom is now funneling everything he does through the lens of he thinks he's going to actually run for president. He thinks he could be president, which is hilarious um, given, given how the rest of the country sees this guy. He's a laughingstock. I mean, he's, people see what's going on in California, and I don't think there's a big market to bring that to their states. However, all that aside, it's sitting on uh, Governor Newsom's desk. Hopefully it will not be signed. I don't support taxpayer financing or even sanctioning these, quote, safe injection centers. I don't want people, hopefully, hopefully never, to be injecting poison into their bodies, and I certainly don't want taxpayers to have to support that. So let's watch that one carefully. Okay, let's get on to the rest of the show and to Austin Peterson. So we're back on the California Liberty Project podcast, your weekend liberty podcast. Not only for California, but we've got a few international listeners and a growing listener base, which is really pretty cool. We've got downloads from many states around the nation. We welcome you all here. This is not just a show for Californians. This is a show for all liberty lovers, freedom fighters in hopefully all 50 states soon and as many countries as we can get from around the world. And so today we're going to jump right in. I've got a great guest. This is someone whose career um, I followed for several years. And um, I think he has some really interesting things to say. And uh, let me introduce Austin Peterson. Now, I know Austin and probably most of you hopefully know Austin. If not, you should. But I know him way back to uh, his candidacy for president on the LP, the Libertarian Party ticket. Um, he was actually the candidate that I favored in 2016. Um, unfortunately, in my mind, the, um, the, the nomination went to a different candidate back in 2016. But um, I supported Austin back then. And then he went on to run for the Senate in Missouri uh, a few years later. And many people know Austin as an entrepreneur and now a talk show host, uh, as well as the proprietor of the Libertarian Republic, I believe, as well. And that's an online um, news and opinion site that you really need to check out. I've even contributed one or two uh, pieces uh, to their website. Uh, it's a great website. Anyway, with all that said, I want to welcome Austin, and thanks for being here, Austin. Anything else I should add to your bio? No, that's it, Greg. That was very generous of you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to meet you. Awesome. Yeah, great to meet you as well. Um, so let's let's jump right in here. I want to honor your time today. I know you're a, you're a busy man. Um, we talked just a little bit offline about kind of the state of the liberty movement. Can we can we start there? I'd love to hear your thoughts because I know you've been active in the ideas. You've been active in just making it fun, making it lively. What is your I mean, we can start big picture. What's kind of your lay of the land for our liberty movement? And I don't, I don't mean just Libertarian Party. I don't mean just Republican Party. I mean, in general, in the broadest terms um, here in the U.S. What are your thoughts? I mean, anywhere you want to go with that. Well, if you think about it, you know, the, you know a lot of people were uh, looking at Senator Rand Paul and his presidential campaign in 2016 as sort of like 
the zenith of the liberty movement as it was sort of culminating through the Ron Paul years and the Tea Party. And, you know, a lot of people who were disappointed by Senator Rand Paul, you know, losing the nomination have looked over the last few years and said to themselves, wow, the liberty movement really doesn't have the same mojo that it had back during the Ron Paul days. It doesn't have the same kind of energy or zest or zeal that we kind of saw then with a lot of young people that are that are that are getting involved. And it, it um, you know, not as many websites springing up. But I would say that, you know, if you if you think of, you know, the liberty, liberty movement or the I guess the libertarian moment that we thought was going to happen then, if you look at it as, you know, strictly a Paul movement, then you might say, OK, well, it was a fail. It's it was failed. It didn't accomplish its goals. And a lot of these people have gone home and are not participating in politics. But I never really saw the Ron Paul movement as, you know, strictly about Ron Paul. A lot of people did. And a lot of people are sort of still fixated on Ron Paul as like a, the central character of this movement. But I think that the truth is, is that sort of there's an elephant in the room. And a lot of the Ron Paul people the, and the, the Ron Paul movement went to Donald Trump and sort of the Tea Party populism and the Ron Paul libertarianism sort of fulminated into the MAGA movement. And there are a lot of MAGA people that I know that were big Ron Paul people back in the day. Some of these people call themselves post-libertarians. Some of the people say, yeah, you know, I had a, uh, I had a libertarian phase, if you will, and have become MAGA, Trumpers, populists. Some of them have become, you know, you know, you know really heavy religious, you know, you know, some some puritanical, some orthodox, some very strong Catholics and things like that. So Thomas Massey, when he was asked about like where the Ron Paul Liberty Movement sort of went, uh, he I think he wasn't didn't even know that he was necessarily, you know, this quote was going to kind of go viral. But he said that I think that a lot of people who supported Ron Paul just wanted to support the craziest bastard in the room. And that was Don, that became Donald Trump. And, you know, a lot of people who supported Ron Paul probably didn't support Ron Paul because they knew really fully exactly like what his principles were. I think that you know, a lot of people got hyped up on this concept idea of taking on the deep state. And you'll see that's probably why a lot of like Alex Jones people became and Alex Jones himself became big Trump supporters because they really just wanted somebody who was going to do what Dorothy did in The Wizard of Oz, reveal the Wizard of Oz for who he was. You know, somebody who would do take on the deep state and show that the emperor wears no clothes. And so that's why I think a lot of people who were Ron Paul supporters before became Donald Trump supporters, because they saw him as an enemy of the deep state and an, an enemy of their enemy, if you will. And you can understand that. You can understand why a lot of people who liked Ron, Ron Paul would like Donald Trump. Some people were confused by that, mostly libertarians. And I admit that I was actually initially at first. But now, with hindsight being 2020, I think I have a better understanding for how people made the logical leap to go from supporting Ron Paul to supporting Donald Trump. So a lot of it was the enemy of my enemy, but a lot of it, too, was that they, somebody, they wanted somebody to shake things up. They didn't want the status quo. They didn't want Hillary Clinton because they knew that it was going to be business as usual. And people, you know, the American people tend to be very restless. They like to shake things up every once in a while. We can't we don't like to be, you know, saddled with a boring, dry, stodgy, you know, um, dynasty, you know, de generation after generation, decade after after decade. You know, we don't like a monarchy in this country. So I think that with Hillary Clinton, you know, even a lot of Democrats, you know, voted third party. Actually, I think more Democrats voted for Gary Johnson, the libertarian than Republicans did that year. So. You know, it just showed that people were ready for a change. And I think that the Tea Party and the Ron Paul movement, many of them went to go support Donald Trump. I think that's a controversial thing to say in liberty circles. But I think that people, you can't deny that that's the case. So that's a really interesting perspective, just hearing your thoughts on, on this, Austin. Let me ask you specifically with, with what's been going on in relation to, okay, the old Ron Paul revolution, uh, which was, you know, was really great, brought in a lot of energy and whatnot. And now um, it seems like some of that energy you're thinking has maybe gone in uh, to the Trump movement, the MAGA movement via the Republican Party. But also, as you're well aware, in the Libertarian Party itself, in the LP, there's a great group of activists. I'm sure you're friends with many of them, uh, no doubt. 
in the Mises caucus, and they're trying to bring in decentralization. They're trying to bring in that Ron Paul liberty movement, um, Austrian free market economics, and they're trying to re-inject libertarianism um, as they see it, and I happen to agree with them, but they're trying to re-inject a true uh, mindset of liberty back into the party and kind of get away from, from maybe some of the call it antics, and I'm not trying to cast shade on people, but there were some maybe some antics, maybe there's some territoriality perhaps, or perceived. Um, what are your thoughts on the energy going on right now within the Libertarian Party itself? Well, I think it's great. I just, I, you know, I wish it had happened back in 2016 when I was running for president. That would have been really useful then. But, uh, you know, I think, it, you know, maybe my, my campaign showed that there was a need for that at the time, because a lot of you know, my supporters went on to become, to join the Mises caucus and be a part of that. But, you know, it's amazing like how simple things can be so divisive within the Libertarian Party. And I mean, that's just politics in general. But I mean, I, you know, I don't know what really the end goal is if it's, you know, if the idea is to, you know, to grow the Libertarian Party. I mean, I hope it accomplishes that. I mean, it would be nice to see them do well. The only thing is, is that I think that there's just, there are some things that are bigger than whatever a party can accomplish. So the question is, you know, is a third party ready for the American people? And then the opposite question is, are the American people ready for a third party? I think the reason why 2016 saw its highest vote totals was not necessarily because of what the Libertarian Party did. I think it was more along the lines that the American people were looking for a third party in that year because they were dissatisfied with their two options. So the Libertarian Party was the beneficiary of that with, you know, them, them getting the most you know ballot access. I think the Green Party got like one of their highest vote totals as well. So if you look at the culture of where people are at nowadays, Liberty is not where the American people are at, right? And, and I'm not saying that, you know, that couldn't change. I think it can change. But on a, in a cyclical way, if you look at history as a guide, typically Amer the American people get interested in or have a flirtation with a third party about once every 30 years, which would mean that, you know, in about, you know, 20 more years, the American people might be interested in a third party again, but they're just not right now. And so everybody has to kind of like, you know, have their own strategy. You know, these, these are kind of, I think, the Valley Forge years for the Libertarian Party, where they're going to sort of like go through these difficult years. They're going to only eat onions and they're going to, some of them starve to death while they're, you know, while they're waiting to prepare for the next battle. And, you know, maybe the next battle will be their Trenton, New Jersey. Maybe they'll cross the Delaware and they'll, you know, they'll kill some Hessians. But that's probably not going to happen for quite some time. And again, maybe they will be able to inflame the passions of the American people and get them to uh, to be interested in liberty. But I think that that probably only really happens not through politics as much as I think it happens through more of a an educational approach, um, more of a media approach. But if it happens politically, I think it probably happens within the Republican Party. That's just my best guess. Yes, and I was going to say, I, I mean, I, I agree with that, I think, mostly. Um, I personally see the right as the best vehicle for enhancing liberty. And I think a lot of that is possibly reactive, I think, to the insanity of the, of the left, in my opinion. But I think we've seen this unholy fusion of cultural Marxism, you know, being married right into the corporate, you know, the corporate welfare warfare state. And it's been, I think, incredible for not only liberty people, um, ANCAPs, minarchists, and just regular laissez-faire kind of conservative types, but I think even independents. And I think a lot of people are seeing this like, what the hell is going on here? You know, this radical, almost Maoist uh, cultural revolution stuff married to big corporations and the power of the state. Um, I, I just see it as like, you know, there's a lot of fertile ground here for people on the right, for libertarians, conservatives to work together um, to really say, hey, you know, however you want to do your life is fine, but we are opposed to that radicalism. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Ah, oh, man. I, I, well, I think that there's a, you know, there is a time for a radical approach and then there's a time for a careful approach. So I had a conversation with Judge Andrew Napolitano re recently and um, 
we were talking about this idea of you know when it's time to remain silent as a libertarian because we always are talking about how to make more noise how to get more attention how do we you know stir things up and you know get people interested in our ideas and be loud and proud and I, this conversation began because i said you know judge what was it like being at fox all those years being a libertarian and like you know wanting to say even more than what you were saying out there on in your television appearances and he's like it's it's difficult he goes he goes Austin there were definitely many times when there were things that I wanted to say that I had to just bite my tongue and hold back because you know I could lose my job or I would lose you know a friends or or opportunities that would you know that would put put me in danger you know and and I thought about that and I was like you know what there there is sometimes I think and there has been, maybe not always, but there, you know, a lack of sort of self-discipline in the liberty movement where, you know, for example, when I, you know, when I endorsed Gary Johnson after I lost the presidential campaign, you know, I had to bite my tongue quite frequently from criticizing him more than I did, which I, which I did do, but, you know, not as vociferously, not as vociferously as I did when I was running against him, just because I didn't want to undermine him because I wanted him to do well. Um, you know, but there is a time to zip it. There is a time to sort of sit back and listen, right? There is a time to take things in and take stock of your situation. And it's not because you're not, you know, you're you're not taking, you're not keeping an eye on what's happening or that you don't, or that it's not saying that you agree with what's going on. You know, you know, Martin Luther King was, you know, partially right when he said there comes a time when silence is betrayal. But when he said that, he said, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. Not that silence is always betrayal, but that sometimes the, that you have to be careful about what you say and what you do because you will jeopardize your position and blow up your spot and maybe blow up your spot for your buddies. And it also, it just reminded me too of this, this book that I was reading about um, the Battle of uh, Peleliu and the Battle of Saipan and Okinawa in World War II. And they had this horrible situation where there would be times when American soldiers would go into shell shock or they would they would just essentially lose their mind and they would be babbling or they would be screaming or they would, you know, and they would not shut up. And it was night and the, the Japanese soldiers loved to fight at night. They loved to attack at night. They had to kill their own soldiers sometimes. I mean, imagine like how horrible that was, but think about that for a moment. If they had to do something, if they had to kill their own buddies in the in the trench, it was because their buddies were putting them at such risk that they were jeopardizing their mission, putting everybody at risk by their behavior, by the way that they were behaving, you know, and like uh, you could say that the naked dancing guy on stage at the 2016 convention could be something like that, right? Not that you have to kill. It's a metaphor, right? You don't have to, you know, don't don't smother don't smother him with a pillow, obviously. Um, but but the point is, is that there. I wrote an article a few years ago. I think it's I think it's a concept that is really important that needs to be honed, and that is that libertarians need to learn how to fight. Well, I think one of our problems. This is what gets me in a lot of trouble with libertarians. One of our problems is that we do not know how to physically fight and we do not know how to fight from a metaphorical perspective and a lot of that has to do with an inherent pacifism in the movement and pacifists are libertarians that's perfectly fine if you're a libertarian pacifist then you believe in you know peace and the non-aggression principle and you know not that that's fine I and mean, robert murphy you know he's an economist and an austrian he's an austrian economist he calls himself a pacifist and that's that's fine you know if you're the type of person who believes and this is the definition of pacifism i've had this argument with libertarians quite frequently if you're the if uh, if you're a pacifist that means that you will turn the other cheek so if you get attacked you will not strike back you will not use force even in self-defense and I know a lot of libertarians don't agree with that. A lot of libertarians are like, absolutely, you have the right to defend yourself and your property and to have M16s and to use, you should have tanks and nukes if you want to. You know, a lot of libertarians say that and they say they believe that. 
But there are a lot of libertarians who don't believe in that. There are a lot of libertarians who don't believe that certain types of defensive violence is ever justified. And um, they, and in essence, they are showing that they are ignorant of proper, legitimate tactics of war. And we are not in are the ideological conflict of libertarianism in politics. If you're a political libertarian, meaning you go and you run for office or you something like that, you are engaged in combat. And if you do not know the basic principles of combat, then you are not you are playing at politics. You are playing a you are not you're not actually engaged in in politics. You're playing at politics. Show me that you understand strategy and tactics. And that's what I what I would really like to see. I would like to see more libertarians with a good understanding of strategy and tactics. Some of them did a good job employing that by the, with the takeover of the Libertarian Party, right? That that would be a good example of strategy and tactics and, and execution. But the problem is is that all that accomplished is having putting people that we like a little bit more in charge of a political party whose influence is waning, right? So. You know, what I would like to see are actual, you know, boots on the ground strategies that are advancing liberty in a mean, meaningful way, policy-wise, around the United States. Not just strategies that end with us controlling a political party that, you know, isn't impacting elections at the moment, to some degree. I mean, there are some, there are some libertarian party races, uh, for example, Shane Hazel in Georgia, where they actually, like, get enough of the vote to, to make a difference in terms of... You know who's the the senator or all that, but and that's that's good leverage. Um, but for the most part, you know, if you have a meaningful, if you have that kind of a strategy, if you take over a local Republican party, that's a big deal because then you're going to actually elect candidates to office who will share our ideals, rather than sort of elect candidates to a political party that share our ideals. So you know, I know I realize I'm being critical here, but. Um, you know, you ask sort of like what I see as some of the flaws here. And the, the problem is, is that by taking over the Libertarian Party, the question now is, you know, it's a big victory. We all feel good about it. But now what's next, I guess, is is what right. I want to know, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What are the practical wins here? Um, and for me personally, mm -hmm. I would love to see a lot more, of course, Thomas Massey's in Congress. But you know what? For me personally, I would also like to see a lot more Marjorie Taylor Greens. I'd like to see all of them mm -hmm. in Congress because you know what? They're bulls in a china shop. And I think this kind of ties back into what you were saying with, um, you know, some of the Ron Paul people becoming Trump people. And that leaves a lot of, I think, purists scratching their heads like, hey, wait a minute, you're a mm -hmm. traitor. How could you go over and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, jump to the Trump train or MAGA and all this stuff? And it's like, hey, guys, you're thinking too provincially, in my personal opinion. <laughs> if we want, yes, if we want yes. to fight the state, uh, so-called, if we want to increase liberty and if we want to overturn some globalist agenda in, in, in the worst sense of the word, if we want to overturn mm -hmm. cultural Marxism, if we don't want tyranny governing our families in whatever way, diverse ways we want to run our families, then we need to bring people in. I, I don't think we need to be purists personally and say, well, that person's not an anarcho-capitalist, so I don't need to hear what they have to say. Or, or that right-winger... You know, she once posted something funky on Facebook, so we don't need to hear what she needs to, what she's saying. Um, that's where I'm coming from. You know, I, I want to see more of a fusion. I want to see more of a locking of arms. Um, and I'm not really, you know, I'm not worried about purity myself. Same, same. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. So it's, I, I like to, uh, to quote and refer back to, like a lot of people do, um, an old Rothbard classic essay, Do You Hate the State? And it really gets back to like, Hey, you don't have to be a radical ANCAP, anarcho-capitalist. You know, we want to bring in um, minarchists. We want to bring in even laissez-faire classical liberals. Um, you know, and, and Rothbard talks about all this. You know, his mentor, you know, Mises, of course, was not, not necessarily an anarcho-capitalist. He was a cla classical liberal Austrian economist. And the point is, we can move toward liberty by lo linking arms with people who want to maybe turn over the tables, possibly, of the of the left-wing corporate fascist state. And, and I know fascist is a loaded term, but I mean corporatism is what I'm referring to. Of course. Yeah, and that's, yes. and that's what I'd like to see more of uh, personally. And I, I think through some of your work, I know 
correct me if I'm wrong, but you consider yourself more of a minarchist. Is that correct? That's a fair characterization? Yeah, I do. Uh, just a any of the sort of enforcement mechanisms of any kind of like system that any anarcho-capitalist has ever advanced, to me, is just the state by another name, right? So it's like, why should I care if it's a private enforcement, you know, a private, private cops that are, you know, hitting me over the head with a truncheon versus public cops, right? There seems to be like some like, desire I feel of anarcho-capitalists to pretend as if like the motives of private police would suddenly become, you know, pure if, you know, it, it would be the same flawed people enforcing the same, you know, human-based proposals or policies, you know, just not done through a democratic committee you know, in our in our state capitals, it would just be more more localized. And, you know, for the most part, I, I think vigilante justice is sometimes justified, but not all, not an entire system. I don't think an entire system of vigilante justice is justice at all, actually. And I think that justice is something that should be administrated and that requires creating an administration and that requires hmm. creating a system where, you know, in order to enact due process, I don't believe that due process can be, you know, always enacted by one single person. Yeah, if you try and kill me and I shoot you, you know, that's that's a due process right there because, you know, I was legally justified in doing so. But if you you and I get in a fist fight, I think that and 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 I kill you, that could in theory be considered manslaughter. And the only people who are justified in determining that are not me and me alone, but a jury of my peers, which requires an administration of justice and law. Sure. I see where you come in from there. Um, I think for the benefit of the doubt, I think probably anarcho-capitalists would maybe um, reply with, well, it's a voluntary system, Austin or Greg. It's, it's voluntary. You choose to be there. And via this voluntary agreement, you're agreeing in advance that you can be physically removed. You know, physical removal is the trigger word there for many. That's, but that's a lie. Nobody, like literally no one on this planet chose to be here. We were all placed here. We, we, we all had our naps violated at birth. Oh, for children. None of us, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but none of us chose to be here. We, we didn't choose to be here. I, didn't, I wasn't chose to be, you know, you choose to be here now. Okay, you're 18 years old. Well, it's like, okay, so you 18, you get the choice. Love it or leave it. Get out. You don't like it? Get out now. Okay, well, all right. Well, it's, so we're kind of talking about what's the age of consent for living here? You know what I mean? At some point, I think it becomes a, you know, a tad ridiculous. And I've read all the anarchist literature. Sure, I've read it all. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate your perspective on that. Um, this is the point where they, they cue the helicopter memes, I think, or whatever. And, um, yeah, yeah. So you, but, but I really appreciate that point of view. Um, it's just, you know, right now, you and I and all of us are linking arms um, metaphorically in the real world. We're here in the real world. Right. And there's the Republican Party. There's the Democrat Party. Can I, wait a minute. Sure. I have one other thing I want to say. Can I just be an, an asshole for one more minute? Please and do. And then we can move on? Please. Okay, so this is a total dick thing to say here. But um, you know how people like ANCAPs like to quote Lysander Spooner? And I love my ANCAP friends, okay? I just want to say, but I give them a hard time. Constitution but you know how they of like no to quote Lysander? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They say the Constitution has either authorized the current form of government we have or it has been powerless to stop it. Either way, it is unfit to exist. I like to replace the Constitution there with the anarcho-capitalist movement. The anarcho-capitalist movement has either authorized the current form of government that we have or been powerless to stop it. Either way, it is unfit to exist. Yep. <laughs> no, I, love, I love that formulation. I've actually said something similar to, uh, to friends before. Um, I'm, giving you, sure. I'm giving you credit for that. But no, it's a good point because yeah. anarchists have been, been around at least since Lysander Spooner, what, in the 1850s? Um, but 150, 175 yeah. years, and it's like, well, guys, it's the same thing. And really, the only reason right now that I might or might not have an AR-15 in my home, uh, whether or not I do, is because of what they wrote down on the Second Amendment. You don't think the statists would have grabbed those semi-automatic rifles? Oh, the yeah. Second they could oh, have? it's a paradox. Yes. It's a paradox. I mean, it's one of the most interesting paradoxes of American history, and I think one of the least sort of examined by, like, a lot of Americans— 
by constitutional scholars and especially libertarians was the anti-federalists who wrote the Bill of Rights didn't believe that you sh that you had to write down right. rights. Right. They the only reason why the why the anti-federalists wrote the Bill of Rights was because they knew the federalists believed in laws had to be written down. They had that they believed in that. Yes. And and the anti-federalists were like, we don't believe in this, but we know you do. So in order to protect ourselves from you, we are going to write down these laws as rights. And just in case we can't write them all down because we know we can't, we wrote the Ninth Amendment to take make up yes. for that. And then the whole, the Tenth Amendment to sort of to deal with all of the other things. But it was it was a paradox because yes. they were doing what they did not believe in because they knew they had to because they knew what their enemies would do. And they understood strategy and they had to take on tactics that they didn't agree with. Yes, yes. And the hilarious thing, too, is that the Federalists did a similar jujitsu by, you know, for a long time they were saying, oh, we don't have to write these down. I mean, of course, government yep. would never take these natural rights. But, okay, we'll agree to it, guys. Fine. Uncle, right. you know. Oh, yeah. It, it's a fascinating thing. And it kind of like, you know, it, it's a cautionary tale for libertarians that, like, we may, we may believe in the non-aggression principle, but our enemies don't. Right, right. And if we didn't have that piece of paper, like we keep using the Second Amendment, if we didn't have that mm -hmm. little piece of paper that's always kind of, you know, waved off or shrugged off, well, then none of us would have any kind of firearms. I can almost guarantee that. So that's, ironically, that's the one yeah. thing that is keeping weapons well, in our hands yeah, because, for self-defense. Right, and it's because the Supreme Court, which courts always run on precedent, the Supreme Court could go back to that piece of paper and say, hey, this is the precedent, and no, executive branch, you cannot do this because this is the law. And so that's the, I'm very thankful that the founders wrote those laws because without yeah. them, I do think we would not have a, an AR-15 today. Yeah, no, I'm in I'm in full agreement there. Um, I do a lot. I love a lot of anarcho-capitalist literature and thinking, and I think the idea of like Hoppe's uh, ten thousand Lichtensteins is a fascinating one. Um, I just don't think that's that's the reality on the ground here today in the United States. You know, we're kind of we're mm. trying to take inches in our foxholes. Um, but uh, we've just got a few more minutes with you here, Austin. Um, so I wanted to, to ask you further, okay, looking ahead really quick toward maybe 2024, and you don't have to weigh in with this if you don't want to, but you know, everyone's starting to talk about DeSantis has done a great job in Florida. People are looking nationally at, is Trump going to return? Is this something where we should be putting in energies right now, or should we, should we be fighting locally? Like I'm here in California, and as a parent, I've been involved with grassroots organizations, a lot of great liberty activists who are going up to Sacramento this month to fight bills, you know, on the ground that are, you know, with the vaccine mandates, injections, um, crazy th bills going through controlling schools. We're fighting things very much locally and statewide, but should we be expending energy talking about the soap opera of, oh, is it DeSantis? Will it be Trump again? Um, do we even want DeSantis to leave the governor's seat in Florida? Would he be a much better governor, but maybe more of a statist president? Um, if you'd like to, please weigh in if you want to. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, so, as, you yeah. know, I think both, you know, obviously, if you're good at your local politics and you have some connections there, definitely use it. But, yeah, I think that weighing in on the presidential side of things is, is good. You know, I, I wonder, you know, how would a Dave Smith or a Spike Cohen or, uh, you know, versus a Ron DeSantis really fare? I mean, you know, not that I don't like both of those candidates. I think if it was them versus, you know, say almost, you know, if Jeb Bush or something like that, I could consider voting for a third party. But in that scenario, I feel like we have a lot more to lose with if we if we didn't vote for Ron DeSantis and we have to gain by voting for a third party underneath that scenario. Because is Ron DeSantis a libertarian? No. Is he libertarian adjacent? I think so, for sure. Um, you know, if I was in Florida, I wouldn't want to lose him as my governor, like you said, for sure. But, um, you know, there's also Christy Noam from South Dakota who also did a great job, and she might be somebody who's in the running as well. I definitely like her approach to politics as well. But... Um, you know, you, there are no perfect solutions to any of this. So, I mean, we can't make the perfect the enemy the good. 
that's just been my experience, you know, having been an activist now for, oh, God, almost 15 years, I think, you know, in the, uh, fighting for liberty and, and campaigning and being a part of, a, of winning campaigns and losing campaigns and, and taking hard knocks and coming back and realizing, you know, I needed to learn my lessons. I, I think that getting involved in the presidential cycle is a good thing for libertarians because you get the most amount of media bang for your buck for the, from those campaigns and from the visibility that they that they gain. But in terms of um, the local politics, that's probably where you're more likely to actually move policy. Yeah, and it's been really exciting because I'm in a bunch of chat groups and signal groups of you know people that are just on fire for local school board candidates. And um, I'm on the, the local school board for my, my children's school, private school and whatnot. I think if we all kind of jump in where we can, where we're able to, um, I'm really excited about that possibility. Um, so Austin, uh, we're just about just about kind of at the end of our time slot here. I wanted to mention as well a new venture of yours as an entrepreneur, the AP for Liberty shop. And I'm going to be yeah. linking arms. I've got a code. I want people to go visit, um, put in my code, which is Liberty Project, AP for Liberty shop.com slash Liberty Project. Um, and tell us about that. I mean, there are all kinds of cool t-shirts and there's great yeah. like 3D printed stuff on there too. And some like keychains, cool, fun things. I mean, it's just fun, right? So tell us yeah, about no, that. No, no 3D printed guns, unfortunately. That's the thing that okay. everybody wants. But uh, Disclaimer. You know, unfortunately, I, I don't want to get, I just got married and I'm trying to build a family. So I'm trying not to get raided by the feds. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, a lot of cool 3D printed merchandise like... Uh, you know, like I've got a little George Washington Buddha back here, Thomas Jefferson and Ronald Reagan and different things like that. Um, but uh, I started it because, you know, a lot of libertarian merchandise is really sort of angry, right? And, and like, you know, scary and all that. And Serious. Like, you know, there's serious like and the fed which which i like trust me I, you know i think that's good and i've got a bunch of shirts that say and the fed and gold is money and all that kind of stuff but one of the things i think really works well is humor what i think there's a mark twain quote that he said against the assault of laughter nothing can stand and so i wanted to create a lot of like merchandise that i thought would get people to laugh and then you when once once somebody laughs then they they want to be your friend and then they want to know more about you and why you're wearing a Thomas Jefferson shirt that says, or a George Washington shirt that says founding daddy, you know, yeah. instead of founding fathers, right? right? So like, uh, you know, we've got this new line of coins that this guy that I'm working with, he hand carves them. So it looks like George Washington is smoking a substance of unknown origin. Some kind of herb or something? Or some, yeah, yeah, whatever he might have been, back, what they might have grown on the Mount Vernon estate back in the day. But, um, you know, things like that signal to someone that you don't take yourself too seriously. You know, you know, it, you know, I'm wearing a shirt that has a bunch of pineapples on it right now, right? So you want, I like the, you know, people to smile and feel comfortable around me and, and that way they want to approach you and then they're fine having a conversation with you about maybe a serious subject. Sure. But people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And you have to demonstrate up front that you actually care about their opinions about things too, not just that you're going to preach to them or tell them what's going on. So I just, I wanted to create a shop that had merchandise in it that was reflective of my personality and my approach to politics. And there are even things in the shop that aren't necessarily libertarian. They're just like fun or funny yeah. things that I might wear or, or use that I recommend to my, to my followers. It's mostly libertarian stuff. And you'll find pro-America stuff mixed with libertarian stuff that's really hardcore because i think that you know american nationalism mixed with libertarianism you know is a sort of is a potent blend of politics that i think if we have if a libertarian moment comes again it's going to come again carrying the american flag and you know i think it'll i think it'll come in a very pro-america worldview it won't come in a down with america burn the flag you know we hate america america sucks I don't think that that's a winning message. I think that a winning message is that America is founded on liberty ideals and libertarians are the keeper of the flame, bearers of the torch, of the ideals that are embodied in the Statue of Liberty and that are embodied in the best of the U.S. presidents of American history, Calvin Coolidge, 
you know, Ronald Reagan from a rhetoric perspective. I know libertarians gripe about quibble about him, but yeah. rhetorically, he rhetorically he was the most libertarian president in modern and history. And he he was a happy uh, warrior. He was happy. He used yes, humor, right? He was. He was funny, exactly. Yes. And so, so that's the AP for Liberty Shop website is a way for people to have a shirt or to have like you know a necklace or have merchandise that disarms people, makes them laugh. That way they feel comfortable. Like I, I designed a shirt the other day for people for libertarians to wear at Halloween. For a lot of libertarians don't like to dress up entirely. Some do. Some are like full blown yeah, furries. Right. But for a lot of us, you know, if you're gonna show up to the Halloween party, you just want to wear a shirt. So I made a shirt with scary in scary letters where it just says government. You know, <laughs> nice. so you can just show up and be like, I'm here to help, and yeah. everyone will be like, Ah, you know. So um, yeah. So things like that are just fun, funny merchandise, and you know. 3D printed killdozers and stuff like that. My wife, you know, packages everything up with a, a handwritten note. So we not only do we sort of like engage in capitalism, but we demonstrate good customer service. Yeah. And we try and, you know, sh you don't have to be a broke bitch to be a libertarian, right? Like, right. you know, I, I think a lot of times too is we, we a lot of us are nonprofit. And so... And, and I see a lot of libertarians railing against like capitalistic practice. I see libertarians ripping on Eric July for his three million dollar comic book right. haul. We should be celebrating and, like, Eric like, July, the Ripperverse. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, oh, this you should be giving this away for free. Like, shut up, what? bitch. What? Like, are you crazy? Well, you know, libertarian socialism, right? It's a thing. It, so yeah. or left libertarianism. So, yeah. anyways, but you know, I created all these uh, products. And you know, I've got a shirt, a hat that looks like it's a veteran's hat, but instead, and it has like a little like thing of medals on it. But it says instead oh, of like, you know, Vietnam veteran retired, it says retired drug dealer. I saw that one. And, and, and so you know, that's just gonna make people go, what, 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 what is that? You know, like, yeah. and then laugh because, you know, you could start a conversation and be like, wait a minute, retired drug dealer, but. Yeah, I work for Pfizer, bro. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so, like, what kind of drug do I talk about? Street, like, uh, public, public or private? Yeah. So, um, no, no, street drugs, anyway. not Pfizer. God, no. No, not Pfizer, right? No, exactly. No, no, it was heroin. Don't uh, worry. Exactly. Exactly. It was just heroin. It wasn't the, you know what? So, um, so yeah. So things like that. I think there's there's a there's a a need for it in the liberty movement, and so I'm um, I think you know so far it's been executing. So it's, awesome. it's fun. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great site, um, and I'm happy to uh, to wear it. I'm going to put in my order, and there's some great shirts I already have my eye on. So everyone, go check out uh, apforlibertyshop.com. Use the code Liberty Project, and you're going to get a uh, a nice little discount there. So um, with that said, uh, thank you very much, Austin, for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Hope to talk to you again in the future, and um, best of luck with everything, man. Really appreciated your time. Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's, uh, I look forward to working with you on the AP for Liberty shop and hope to talk to you again real soon. Very good. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay. Have a great day. This has been the California Liberty Project Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, share it with others, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter.